that separates the men from the boys. Men, but not from the girls. Isn't that comforting? All right, George. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's very... I'm glad to know that certain aids are coming to the, to the comfort of uh, the poor, long-suffering... Fellow sufferer, uh, while, while you know, as, as, you know they've, been, uh, they've been trying to solve that problem for years in plays. And all along, it's lucky that separates the men from the boys, but not from the girls. We don't want to be separated from the girls, do we? Certainly not. Yes, sir. I can I can see this guy with this fluffy sweater over on the east side, and he's smoking the cigarettes there, you know. And he finally he finds that uh, you know he's smoking those luckies away there. And, uh, <laughs> I got it. It's starting right off. You notice that there's no rest for the wicked. It's getting rotten all the time, right, George? I don't think levity is called for. It's a serious world. I mean, it's it's a bugged world. I don't like any of this boffo stuff. I cut it out. I mean, it's not going to do you one. Bit, it's not going to do you one bit of good. Not a bit. Now, you, now, now look, you're not. It, it's not going. Don't try to come to me and, and try to gain my my sympathy by laughing at my poor pitiful sallies. I know that they're bad. That's better. Hold it now. One moment. Just, just everything. Just sit at the controls there. One minute. Uh, it's uh, Thursday, and uh, of course you know that Thursday refers to uh, an early god. God, actually, that was of course that goes through a very long. We we don't want to bother you with the long derivation and the etymological twists and ins and outs of the derivation of the word Thursday. But suffice it to say that the god that was referred to at one point in Druidic history was the god of the love of and the worship of rottenness. Now, uh, the, the Druids were much more truthful about many things than we were. Uh, oh, uh, for those of you who are taking notes. Much of this will appear on the exam. I just thought I'd remind you. And uh, the questions that will appear out of tonight's discourse will be of the essay type. So you'll be able to pad. All right. 
We won't keep you too much to the facts. However, the Druidic, the Druidic peoples were hung on a lot of things, like they stuck knives in each other, and they hit each other, and they drank blood, and they bathed at the moon, and they put things in their hair like poison ivy, and they didn't shave, and a lot of things. And they didn't have much trouble, by the way, separating the men from the boys or from the girls. Now, this was long before the uh, inception of Lucky Strikes. There are a lot of other things. Of course, there are many things they don't know about their druids, and it's a very cloudy history. Of course, I think there's a lot of covering up being done. I, I don't think people want to know a lot of things about the Druids because it might give a lot of people ideas today. They did a lot of these big rocks and they pointed them at the North Star and they shot off arrows into the air and once in a while they'd shoot people right into the air and we pointed, oh, it's just very disgusting things they did. But uh, one of the things they did, they were very conscious of the days of the week, the early Druids. Now, the later Druids, of course, didn't give a damn, actually. And that's one of the reasons that the Druids finally faded out completely and became the Celts, who later became uh, the Saxons. Uh, it's not really the Saxons. The Saxons is the way to pronounce it. It was um, over the umlaut, ow, oh, oh. Uh, I hate to be a stickler for triviality here, but there are times when triviality isn't trivial at all. Now, of course, in the early Druidic the cultures, the early days, when they talked about the day of Thursday, they referred to the god of rottenness. Uh, actually, it might it'd be of some interest to you to know that the word rotten itself has a Druidic derivation. Rotten. Uh, they had a type of, uh, well, they, they used what they called an octoglactal tongue, which is an eight-sided tongue which referred to a flickering motion back in the epiglottis. It was one of their most common vowels. And so the word was rotten, rotten, as it has come down to us. Now, the god of rottenness was the god of just plain uh, rottenness. Now, now, rottenness was different in that day, but the spirit remains the same. And there is not a man jack among us who does not worship in his own way at some kind of shrine of rottenness. Now, some are a little more blatant about it. Some are a little nervous about it, but all of us do it. We like <laughs> rottenness, <laughs> one kind or another. Now, I, I myself, now, I have all kinds. Uh, let, let, us take, let us take the type of rottenness uh, that uh, is probably the most common sort of rottenness that we are prone to take in our society today. Are you taking notes out there? Now, wake up. Sit up straight. I wonder if problems with ignorance in this world, but uh, rottenness now takes many forms. Like it's junk, for example, rotten junkyards. Is there is there any of you who can pass through a rotten junkyard without looking? No, seriously, not without really looking. How many of you can walk past a full trash basket, let's say on Forty Sixth Street, uh, without? kind of looking out of the corner of your eye. Now, you're paying obeisance to rottenness of a kind, to junk. Uh, no, no, this is a very common problem with us. And now, on the other hand, there is another side to us. Yes, bring it up. Yes, there's a side that says, by God, I don't believe in rottenness. Beauty, oh, the death of the swan. Oh, look, loveliness, eternal verities, the golden mean. Yes, honesty is the best policy. In God we trust. Bring it up. Clubbed yeah, uh, out on me right there. Bring it in again. Now just set it back, Walt. We, can, we, we, we cannot give them 
enough beauty on this program. And listen to that. Oh, gee. I get all like Farina, you know? Bubbling all lumpy, terrible, tasteless, nothing, kid stuff, Farina. Uh, inside. Listen to that. Listen to them horns. Oh, I just can't take it. I just can't go any further. Now, tonight's program, for those of you who uh, have problems, uh, we're going to put a, a uh, small declaimer here. This is not for the John Gambling crew. Uh, this is really... No, I'm just being very honest with you. This is not for people who, like Al and Dora, and uh, I'll tell you, it is, it is for the crew who might find at times that Ed Fitzgerald is talking out of the side of his mouth and uh, is saying more than he's saying there in a while, which he is. I know Ed very well. Sneakiest son of a gun I've ever known in this business. Well, now, uh, I would suggest for the rest of you, you just go on down to WPAT. They've got a lot of nice, soft, easy music for you, and nothing's going to disturb you. Because tonight we're going to talk about that early Druidic god of rottenness since this is Thursday night and it's August. And by the way, the Druids got very restless at this time of the year. Did I? I think I did. I think I did tell you about the time that I got ran out of a town, literally. I got practically run out of a city because the word got out that I was a practicing Druid. Uh, <laughs> yes, well, actually I am. Uh, I don't practice as much as I used to, but, it, you know, the knees go and things. But, uh... Uh, being a druid is a very difficult thing. I, I, uh, I remember... <laughs> well, I'll tell you, if, if you're interested in the druids here in town, on, on very early Sunday mornings, particularly in the summertime, there is a certain oak tree in Central Park where the druids who live in this vicinity read a mass. And they do it... We, we keep a, a, a birch bark scroll there from which this is read. And there are other ceremonies. It's very early Sunday morning, about 5 o'clock, just about the time the first horse people are coming out on the tracks out there, you know. And uh, it's very embarrassing in some ways. But I would like to talk to you tonight, friends, fellow sufferers, Yankee fans. I would like to talk to you about the... <laughs> How are you, Yankee fans out there? Hey, Yankee fans. Yankee fans. How are you tonight? Well, now we're talking about Yankee fans as a generic race. We're not discussing Yankee fans as a group of people who are fans of a ball team. Yankee fans. You know what a Yankee fan is. Well, then, of course, the other race, Met fans. It's too bad. <laughs> These idiots think they're baseball fans. Too bad. I'll tell you, the, the, the day that the Mets are, are, are a threat in the National League pennant race... That's the day that the Met fans are going to quit being Met fans. They won't like that at all. Uh, Floyd Patterson, you know, said, and this is the truth, Floyd Patterson said that, that he never got mail. And this was not too much talked about in the newspapers, but he never got mail like he got after he lost the second fight. All the Met fans wrote him. Because now I was sure he was a real loser. If there's anything a Met fan hates, it's uh, it's a latent winner, <laughs> you know. Because a, a true Met fan is a genuine loser. He is not a phony loser. He is a genuine loser if he has to work at it. 
And so naturally, he would like Floyd Patterson when Floyd finally proved that he was truly unworthy. <laughs> it's kind of an imposition. It's sort of George Orwell, you know. He becomes champion when he gets belted out the third time. Then he is loved. Uh, believe me, I, I, I saw that happen in the Philadelphia Phillies once. The more the Phillies lost, the more the fans loved them. Until finally they were, yeah, they lost their 23rd game straight, something like that, the Phillies. Millions of people stood around in the rain and cried when the Phillies were coming home. And finally the Phillies arrived and the dirty skunks won. It just took the summer away from half of the people there in Philadelphia. It really did. <laughs> Speaking of skunks, this is WOR AM and FM New York. Speaking of losers. And uh, we'll be here until, uh, you know, doesn't matter. But uh, while we're on the subject of, of rottenness, I, I just, just have to bring this in. There was, a, there was a great thing happened. One of, those, one of those rare moments when mankind unloosens itself and just, just opens up the belts and, and, and unties the, the laces and really does something that it secretly always wanted to do. Wouldn't you like to have holidays that are based on the real stuff that you'd like to do, you know? Like, <laughs> like, like, uh, like you have, you know, because holidays, you know, are based on old things. They're not based on real things anymore. Uh, no, seriously, they're not. Uh, you have Independence Day. There aren't many independent guys anymore. Let's just face that. What do you know about independence? I mean, is it a, an independent guy, believe me, is a dead guy. In, in the 20th century world. It's, it's a truth. And, and so we celebrate past things which are disappearing so fast into our past that they are practically meaningless. Now, now, wouldn't you like to have a holiday where it's just a true holiday, like everybody can swing on today, and it doesn't count? That, uh, you know, <laughs> a genuine holiday, like I call Swinging Day. And uh, we, we can make it a philosophical thing where everybody throws, you know, it's kind of like a druidic rite. Everybody throws all their wedding rings into the big fountain in the park. And for one day, everything goes. It's like clearing the decks, you know. Just one day. Wouldn't that be a fantastic holiday? Really, admit it now. There'd be a lot of guys against it, but there are a lot of guys against the 4th of July. There are a lot of guys against any holiday. There are a lot of guys who get mad at Mother's Day, you know. A lot of guys, yes. Can you imagine what a holiday that would... <laughs> a lot of guys would look very askance at that because they don't want to admit to something very basic here. Now, I think that one of the great holidays we should have is a moratorium on conscience. One day when you can stop all the junk that you have been kidding yourself that one day you're going to do. One day, if everybody stopped it, if everybody one day said, and it was official... I am not going to write the novel. One day you could admit the truth about yourself. Just one day out of the year. Do you realize how great that would be to get it off your back one day? I am not going to become a great actor. You know, just one day you could admit the truth. Or one day admit you're just a lousy, rotten, lazy bum. Just, I admit it now. I'm a lazy bum and I'm nothing. I never will be anything. Admit it one day. Admit one day that you really are a hateful, rotten person. One day, admit that you are not liberal. All you are is selfish. <laughs> you know? And you, 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 uh, you define liberality by letting me and my friends swing. That's what's called liberality. Uh, or liberalist. Or, or admit you're not a conservative, sound political thinker. You just want to grab all you can get. Why don't you just admit it one day? 
just wouldn't it be great if, if we had that day where, where uh, a gigantic day, and if, if uh, Kennedy and everybody, had, you know, if they, if they had a proclamation, and if we got the Saturday Evening Post behind it, I think it would go. If we could get life in there. And, uh, and, and you could just call it Truth Day. Really Truth Day. And for that one day, you could just relax. You, know, you could sit there, and instead of pretending that, oh, you know, uh, these, these guys that read Ayn Rand, you know, they pretend that objectivism is a philosophy. All, all, why don't you just admit, what it is, is any time anybody tries to get something from you, hit them in the mouth, grab it, and uh, I should run the country. And me and my friends. <laughs> That's what I should. Wouldn't it be great just for one day to forget all, that, all those words, you know, Atlas, Schmug, Shrug, you know, forget all that jazz. And for one day, just sit there, you know. And for one day, if you're a demonstrator, forget all the causes. One day, why don't you just admit you like to hit people? Just one day, you just want to get out and hit guys with change, you know, and you want to get them hit the mayor, and, you know. Have you noticed, by the way, that's the new thing in demonstrations? That, 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 that no longer you have to have a cause, you just demonstrate. Seriously. That now, no matter what it is, you go down and you yell at the mayor about it. You just sit in front of that. Get the Wagner, get out of your bum! And, of course, and you have a big sign, Stop the rain! It's raining! Get out of your mayor, you rotten bum! <laughs> anything, anything that bugs you, like if you get a bad knee, you go out and you parade in front of Bellevue. You know, doctors are rotten! I got a bad knee! And you, you walk back and forth. And, and, uh, that, oh, yes, oh, yes, that, that no longer does anyone admit that there are such things as natural phenomena or, or human nature, anything like it. It's a rotten mayor that's doing it. <laughs> It's a rotten administration. Get them out of there. And I don't know. Uh, it, it's going to be interesting to find out when everybody gets all the all the all the bums out, and all the other guys get in. The same junk goes on. Then what do you do? You know what do you do then? Get them out. Then they're going to get them out. Get them out. Get them. Until finally you get in. Then look out. Oh boy, the avalanche. Because <laughs> uh, oh yeah, it's fine. Wouldn't it be great though? Seriously, if we had a truth day. How many of you guys out there would like to throw out all the one-third finished manuscripts without any, without any uh, social stigma applied to it? Seriously, nobody, nobody would say anything. You could just throw it out. Wouldn't you like to get rid of the watercolor set that you've got? You know, that they gave you for Christmas three years ago when you said you were going to become a painter? Wouldn't you like to be able? Yeah, wouldn't you like to be able to get rid of all those books that you bought when you went to the paper book gallery, you know, Kierkegaard and all that stuff? Get rid of them uh, so you can put the model airplanes on the shelf. Wouldn't you like to throw all that junk out? Seriously, you know, all that crap that you don't need, you know, just throw it out. You know, get rid of it. Get rid of all that junk. Wouldn't you? Seriously, wouldn't you like to get rid of? Now I'll give you another one. Wouldn't you? <laughs> there are a lot of things. Wouldn't you like to get rid of your guitar? that you never learn how to play and it cost you $37 and a half and you finally got it and you never learn how to play it and it's it's always there it's always glaring at you you know it's always in there and every time you open up your closet there's that crummy guitar <laughs> would you like to just be able to all right out you go boing clunk bang it hits out there and you kick it uh, and you come back in and nobody would realize nobody would admit you see on the truth day because everybody would be doing it there would be no such thing as chickening out. We're all doing it. It's all going out. All of it. All of it. Wouldn't you like to just once relax and say to this chick you're going with, no, I don't love you. It's just, I don't love you, but I like being here. 
just nice to sit here. Now, I like sitting here. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a great feeling? Just to relax for one day. Of course, the next day you could start it all over again, you know. The next day we would have this unspoken thing where we would all go back, you see. We'd all go, we'd all go back, and no one would admit. You see, that's the beauty of a, of a holiday, a true holiday, is that no one looks. You know that, that in, in, for example, the Mardi Gras, uh, the, the genuine Mardi Gras, everyone overlooks everyone else's peccadillos for that one Mardi Gras period. Now, in Europe, they really have these things, you know. I remember uh, being in, in the Fasching in Germany, in Munich. Let me tell you, boy, I mean, everything happens you wouldn't believe. I mean, it just really does. It really happens there for, you know, I mean, it really happens. The stuff that Playboy dreams about, it happens there. It goes on all over, everywhere. Well, the next day after fashion is over, these guys walk around with the straightest faces you ever saw. They're pushing beer wagons back and forth, and they're cleaning the streets, and it's like nothing ever happened. Well, now, the point is they know how to have a holiday. Now, now if, if, we, if we, a holiday, we would have the truth. Now, well, do you know that, that this literally happened? This really happened in, in, uh, in, um, in, right here in the eastern seaboard area just a couple of months ago where for one day it started and the truth came out. And uh, Walt, you give me, I'll tell you, you give me a little thing here. Maybe I better start it. It's, it's a great story. It happened in August. As a matter of fact, it's this month. Uh, no, I'll tell you what you better give me. I, I think, uh, since this is truly an American phenomenon, you give me stars and stripes forever there, Walt. That's, that's, I, I, there's nothing better than a good shot of stars and stripes forever to keep us uh, reminding of what... Color. There we go. Hey, George. All right, that's enough. That's enough. It's heady stuff. Now, uh, here is a story from the Waterbury American. Written by a guy named Samuel Spencer, a reporter. I don't know anything about him. Uh, I do know the Waterbury American. It's one of the more humorous humor papers in America. I've read their editorials, and gee whiz, you know, if you think mad is funny, friends. But uh, we, we, uh, we have here a, a, a great story about what happened in water. Have you ever been in Waterbury, Connecticut? I'll never forget one time being in Waterbury, Connecticut, the night of the Great Flood. Uh, you remember the flood they had up there a couple of years ago? Remember that? Well, I just thought that was, the, you know, the kind of weather that they had in Waterbury. <laughs> I didn't know much about Waterbury, and it was coming down, and people were drowning the streets, and the houses were falling in. And I went to the, I went to the train station. Nobody seemed to be concerned. I got on the train and went right out. Oh, well, you know, that's Waterbury. But it is not really Waterbury, because when you hear this piece, you will recognize a kind of universality that ties up very closely with the Druids and their, their actual honest appraisal of and worship of rottenness as personified by junk. You know, I think this is the first society in history that has, you know, we thought the Victorians did it. I think this is the first truly, truly mechanistic, materialistic society where, you know, the Victorians gathered things around them that were considered, as you know, Walt, it was, they were considered artistic. It was considered decorative. And so, hence, they gathered the things around them, the junk that you see over in the Third Avenue antique shops. They gathered that junk around them as decorative things. It was, it was decorative things. Well, we are different. Our time, our world, collects stuff for no such reason. We don't have any reason. We collect it because it is stuff itself. 
Not for any other reason. It's just stuff. Now, I, I'm going to read this piece to you, give you an idea of how we really do respect and honor the whole panoply of, uh, you might say, uh, civilization and junk. The drift down, the downdrift, the fallout, the, uh, the, the, the dandruff. Of, of, a, of a mechanized civilization. You don't throw it away. You know, nobody really throws it away. It's just there. Have you ever wondered where all that stuff goes that all those ladies, those fat ladies, are buying every day at Macy's? Because, you know, they buy a lot of it. They have a million-dollar days, you know. They're all the time. Gimbals, Macy's, Orbox, all of it. These people are in here insanely buying night and day. Well, the stuff comes out to their house in big shoots. It really does. Well, what happens to all the stuff that it replaces? Do you think they throw it out the back as another shoot? Oh, no. Not a bit of it. No, sir. Listen to this great story. More than 600 refrigerators, more than 500 stoves, more than 350 water tanks, thousands of bed springs. Where can you see this many appliances, all in excellent condition in one place? At the Waterbury Municipal Dump. The recent city-wise junk pickup drive netted this huge inventory of furnishings among the 10 million pounds of rubble which was picked up along the city's 258 miles of streets. Now this is a little town, Waterbury. 10 million pounds of crud they picked up in this town. But listen how it happened. It's a great story. The whole program started with an idea of Mayor Edward D. Bergen to try to clean up the city and eliminate potential fire hazards. Well, now, the poor mayor, you know, hes you can just see he's one of these obtuse guys who wants a credit. What he really did, unknowingly, was to put a moratorium for one day on people's consciences. You can get rid of that half-finished radio kit. You can finally get rid of that rotten model airplane that you've had sitting up on the top of your shelf there for over four years. You're never going to get a motor for it. Throw it out. It's there. The wing's busted. Get, it, get rid of it now. You know, all that junk you're not going to do. Well, listen to this now. People were, every one of the 1,200 streets were covered. People were notified one week in advance of their streets pickup. What day it would be, see, and the day before the pickup. Traffic was lessened and parking was banned on the streets involved beginning the night before the pickup. In other words, this was not just a thing that says, clean up your house. It wasn't a clean-up day. They really said, today, get rid of all that junk. Come on, this one day, do it. And, and we'll, no, no cars on the streets and everything. The night James Roach, superintendent of refuse collections, told the people of the city that anything they put on the street today would be hauled away by his department. Little did he know what he was getting into. Most of the officials engrossed in the massive operation grossly underestimated the amount of rubble that would be picked up. Many days, the trucks took over 200 tons to the dumps for burning and disposal. That's just in one day. The program, now here is where it becomes interesting. The program did not catch on immediately in the pilot area in the East End. People seemed to be wary of neighborhood reactions and were unwilling to put a big pile in front of their own house. Now, you see what I mean about the conscience? Okay. You got that now? No one wanted his neighbors to think that he had that much junk in his house. 
the people seemed to catch the spirit of the drive as it progressed, and they often hauled their refuse to later collection areas in another part of town in order to cover up their tracks. All right. Now, what did people throw out most often? What would you guess people threw out most often? You would never guess. TV antennas. There were millions of TV antennas. How many TV antennas are in your house right now? You know, rotten ones that you bought from this pitch man that came on channel, you know, channel whoopee. He says, it'll clear up all the snow, all the ghosts. Your TV set will act like a brand new number one 17-inch set for $5.95 with a special dual dipole valves with the 17-inch. And you know, you know that guy, you remember, used to sell TV antennas? And people bought them and they were worse than the rabbit ears. And everyone was hung and they didn't know what to do with them after you paid $17, after you paid the guy that delivered it and all that. They hooked it. Remember those things? And people, you know, people don't throw that stuff away. When you buy something, there it is. It's in the, uh, under the shoes and all that. Well, there were more TV antennas thrown out than anything else. 50-gallon oil drums. How do you like that one? That were used to hold fuel for stoves and furnaces and cement blocks that were used for hip fireplaces. <laughs> Guys are giving up that visit with the bricks. <laughs> they were throwing them out. <laughs> Uh, the prize establishment, in Superintendent Roach's opinion, was an apartment block, one block, listen, that contributed nine refrigerators, 11 washing machines, seven sinks, seven hot water tanks, and 35 elderly TV sets. One block. City planner Anthony Murto said, before the drive began, we held the natural assumption that the bigger the house, the more junk, and the bigger pile, of course. This is not what happened. The tiny Cape Cod-type houses had junk piles as high as their roofs. One small home had a pile of junk that was a story and a half higher than the roof of the house itself. On the other hand, one enormous home with a huge lawn had two tiny bundles on the street both tied with blue ribbon. <laughs> Boy, that this is a great sociological document, this poor little house all filled with junk. You know, it's it's you know the junk is reassuring. Are you are you aware that that that, uh, that, that I, I think I think one of the most uh, the most important things about junk is it it gives you a sense of belonging, of existing. Having stuff around you. Yes, is a real it gives you a genuine sense of security. I have known guys, in fact, I knew a guy who practically had a nervous breakdown when the girl who worked for him took the 17 feet of junk that he had piled up on his desk since 1927, took it away one time and just burned all of it and just left the top layer, the layer that he worked with, because suddenly he was naked. He was literally naked. There were millions of, of notes in there of, of things he would never do. You remember that. We all keep notes of people we're going to call, uh, things we're going to write to. And we, by having the paper near us, we assure ourselves that our heart's in the right place. And one day we'll get our life straightened out. You know, one day we'll get it all straightened away. Well, can you imagine what this does to a guy when it's all thrown out? It's like his life has been thrown away and he's been caught in all the lies.
He will never call again. He will never he will never pay for the shoes. You know, he will he will never do the thing that he was going to do that time when he took that that brochure. You know, and all of that stuff will go right down the drain. So we've got to keep it with us. And the more insecure a person is, the more junk you'll find around him. The more insecure he is, and the more convinced he is that he doesn't really exist. He has to surround himself with four cars. He really does. He's got to surround himself with as many things as he can get to, to, to reach out and touch, to hold. You know, there it is. You just reach out and you grab a hold of it. Do you want to hear more of what happened in Waterbury? You haven't heard the end of it by any means. This really gets going. Listen to this. In many areas, the men living there were unwilling to undertake the work necessary for cleanup. In one section, the women began to take the rubbish out to the curb themselves in order to shame the husbands into getting busy and helping with or finishing the job. They didn't. Now, I want to point out something. I believe that men are more romantic than women. I believe that men are bugged more with conscience than women. They are generally bugged also by the fact that they have loused up and have wasted their lives. This is a real problem with men. And, and, and I think men are much less prone to throw out junk than women for that very reason. It's not a matter of being lazy. I mean, the guy goes down there and there are all those tires and he's got all those old license plates and all the, all the, all the New York Times crossword puzzles for the last eight years that he was going to do and didn't do. They're all there, you know, all those magazines and all that stuff he was going to think, all the papers and all that junk. And he feels somehow, he feels somehow, well, at least, you know, <laughs> But boy, you're naked. Yet they take all this out and there's just this concrete. You know, there you are. You're standing there with nothing but your shoes. How many people ever really throw shoes away? That's another thing. That's, that's another thing, boy. Shoes just sort of melt. Hardly anyone ever really throws them away, you know. But, but I, I, I suspect that men, women don't like junk. Men are born junkies. Believe me, we used to. I, I, one of the biggest things on a Saturday afternoon for kids when I was a kid was to go junking. Because you know it's very important to a kid. He starts right out. You see, if he gathers junk around him, a boy does this. A girl is very secure in being a girl. She's sitting there with her doll. You know, she's already having babies. You know, in her mind, and she's playing jacks. What is this little squirt who's eight doing? He's out there looking for wheels. He's a, yeah, he's out there looking for, for inner tubes, you know. He's out there looking for, for all, all, anything, anything. And he's finally, he's gathering this great crowd of stuff around him. He collects match covers. I never heard of a girl that did this. You know, he collects stamps, almost anything. Collect, men are the collectors. There are, there are very few ladies stamp collectors, you know. They're, really, there are, uh, men are collectors because they're the nervous people. Men are literally the nervous people. Women, you know, they're very secure in what they are. The man is out there collecting. Well, I want to tell you more about what's going on here. Listen to this. Some of the items left for removal still have the officials wondering. A 1,400-pound safe was on the street one morning with the combination written in chalk on the top of it. Many of the men involved in the project took a crack at trying to open it, but the combination didn't work. And maybe that's why they threw it out. <laughs> you know, can you imagine this guy all of his life with that crummy safe down there? One day he's going to get it to open. 
<laughs> Finally, get it out, get it out. It's like, you know, it's like the golden apples or the golden fleece or something. Get that thing out. One lady had her kids take down an entire shack, which is in the backyard, and throw it away. One planter, uh, oh, the tree stumps, they got the whole business going. But listen, this, I think, is... Uh, all right, listen to this one. And then, and this, I suspect, is the most significant part of the article, came the scavengers. They came in all sizes, shapes, and vehicles. One lady drove around in her chauffeured black Cadillac looking at all the junk piles. Every day she was out. Superintendent Roach recalls seeing one station wagon so loaded with crummy old clothes that they couldn't even get another handkerchief in it. Now, what's that for? The scavengers, listen, to, look at the eerie scene. What a great little one-act movie. The, the scavengers were out late at night with flashlights, wandering over the town. They left very little in the line of baby equipment, playpens, bassinets, carriages. There is one story of a guy who made the regular rounds of the discard piles and is now well entrenched in the second-hand furniture business in town. Many times, two people would see what the other one was discarding and then just trade his pile of junk for the other guy's pile of junk. How do you like that for a guy who wants to get rid of his life? But he doesn't want to get rid of life itself, so he trades, I'll be you for a while, Charlie, and you can be me. I'm Fred, you're Charlie. Okay, here. Give me your old tennis rackets and you can have my old guitars. <laughs> you can have my unfinished airplane and you give me the set of ties that, that you never never use, you know, and I got them all. And, and it's a trading of a life. Interesting thing. What an eerie situation. The scavengers were moving at night. Many, many of the sections of the city where winemaking used to be popular cast a fantastic stench of fermenting wine as the wine barrels that were odorless in the cool dampness of a cellar finally got out in the hot sun. Truth again was hitting the town. And fantastic domestic fights were seen all over town when a wife wanted to throw something out and husbands were fighting up and down the blocks to keep stuff from going into the refuse truck. You notice they don't put it the other way? It was never a wife fighting to keep the stuff and a man trying to throw it out. It was obviously the other way. This is very, very interesting. And then the kids started to follow the trucks. These are the, these are the little the kids out junking. And hundreds and hundreds of, of kids would be behind the trucks and at each stop more would grow until there would be almost a thousand of them following the trucks all over town. What a day to be in, in, uh, in Waterbury. I mean, wouldn't that have been a great thing to see, really, though? Thousands of kids. Fights were started when people began to put their junk on the pile in front of somebody else's house. Oh, no, 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 you can't blame that rotten old airplane that you never finished on me. You crumb! And the next thing you know, they're hitting each other. A guy is trying to get rid of his, his guilt on another guy's doorstep, you see. Why didn't he want it in front of his house? Why? Well, forgive, figure it out. And this other guy had enough troubles of his own. What do you think they're going to say when they see my paints that I didn't finish the painting? I'm not going to have that airplane, too. Get out of here, bum. <laughs> Jeez, it's wild. Well, uh, these people had fights, 
and it broke out all over town, and they hauled these people into, into, into the station, you know, and, and of course it was uh, very valid. Most people were shy about throwing away, but as soon as it started, it was like an avalanche. It everywhere, a moratorium was declared on conscience or worry or fear, and it spread over the town like a gigantic wave. There, and, and at the dump, what happened at the dump? It was wild. There was a vast tonnage of rubble arriving at the dump, and they had to, they had to do it almost like an army. They had gigantic payloaders and bulldozers and everything lining this stuff in enormous piles. 50-gallon oil drums. And one of the greatest dangers that was happening, thousands of guys were throwing away illicit ammunition. How do you like that one? Shells of all calibers and grenades were thrown away. <laughs> and they were exploding on the trucks, causing the, uh, causing the loads to be on fire. Uh, uh, Paladino said it became necessary to keep all men and trucks away from the fire areas because any time now it was all going to go up something would explode. In fact, one time, something exploded in, the, in, a, in a gigantic bulldozer's scoop and drove the entire machine backwards several yards. Boom! Oh, boy. These guys are getting... Don't worry, don't worry. These guys are getting rid of everything. And, and the, 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 the question, of course, arises now, uh, what happened actually in Waterbury? This... this that every one of us, there isn't a single one of us that doesn't have his life surrounded by all sorts of things that are that are nibbling at us like a like a, a gigantic school of man-eating guppies, and and it, it just follows you like a cloud, follows you around, of of things you should have done, things you shouldn't have done, things that you never finished, and and I I suspect the most of the most virulent of these little crummy things that are biting at us is the unfinished dream the dream of the guy who's going to build a place uh, on the island the dream of the guy who's going to finally make the break from BBDNO the, the, the dream of the guy who's finally going to get away yeah he's finally going to do it uh, the, the, there must be 87 million guys who, who have always said to themselves, finally, one day, I'm just going to go in and tell her I want a divorce. You'll never do it. And, and, and always these little things. And, 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 and the women, too, the same way. One day, I'm going to tell them, it's no use. It's been a joke ever since we started. I'll take the kids. I'll get out of your life. No. Oh, speaking of jokes, we have with us tonight the Mandarin House. And if you have not tried Mandarin food, <laughs> you know, I'll tell you, that's another thing. There is no nation like America to eat other people's food. We're all trying to quit being Americans as fast as we can. Guys go to French restaurants, guys go to Italian restaurants, guys go to kosher restaurants, they go to Chinese restaurants. Hardly anybody goes to an American restaurant. Believe me. Well, if you really want to get far out, man, I would suggest you try Mandarin food. That's way, that's inland. I mean, that's way, that's even past Hong Kong. It's, oh, wow. And if you, if you really want to try it, it's at the Mandarin House on 6th, well, just off 6th, between 6th and 7th on 13th Street. They have a bar. And, you know, it'll, the whole thing works. See, that came out loud, didn't it? Uh, but this is the Mandarin House, and the food is good. And they're open seven days a week. You know, this is, this, is, this is a really, I'm afraid this is, this is something that 
And you know what, what eventually happens when a guy has enough of these guppies nibbling at him and, and gnawing at him? He looks for some scapegoat. He looks for a scapegoat. We like to believe that the reason our, our, louse, our, our, our whole lousy life has been so balled up is because of the rotten system or because of the way the rotten woman is that I married. That's the rotten, that's the rotten women. Or else it's that crummy mayor. That guy, if we can get that mayor out. And, and it just thousands and thousands and thousands of people today are looking for scapegoats. Until finally, I, I imagine, next to General Motors and the Hollywood Dream Factory, the biggest business in America will be the demonstrator. He's on his way. Have a good weekend and a good night to all of you. This is WOR Radio, your station for news. Here's Mr. Casey Stengel to have conversation with two of the lovely Miss Rangold candidates of 1964, Celeste Yarnell and Kay Hughes. Celeste Yarnell, while you've been here in New York, have you been entertained royally? Oh, I think so. It's been an exciting experience so 